This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Hebrews chapter 8. Now, I want to talk this morning on the subject of the better covenant. Uh, We've been having a look at blood covenant and we see that in the Hebrew the word bereth is the word that is used to describe the process of entering into covenant relationship. We've looked at the steps of the covenant, but the word bereth is a word which means to cut where blood flows. Remember, the blood represents the life. The life is in the blood. When I enter into this kind of covenant, I am entering into covenant relationship and my life is at stake. That's what I, this is how important this covenant is to me. I'm laying my life on the line. I'm laying my life down for this covenant. I cease to exist and I enter into covenant relationship with my blood covenant partner and the most important thing in my life now is this covenant. I'm giving my life for it. Now, that's in the Hebrew and uh, In the New Testament, the word for covenant entering is the word diateki. And diateki is a rather interesting word because whereas under the Old Covenant, both parties entered into covenant and they both were required to bring their best gifts, under diateki, we have one that favors one party above the other, seemingly. Because the word diateki very simply means this. It's a covenant where one party does all the giving and the other party does all the receiving. It's a lopsided covenant. But it's a covenant that we have entered into because of what He has done. Now remember, the greater always initiates the covenant. And God cut covenant with us. It's called grace. In His love, and His grace, He did it. Now, we need to realize that God has done it all. You had nothing to do with this covenant. God structured it. God performed it. God brought it about. And when it was a finished product, He presented it to you and said to you, Do you want in? And the way that I get in is I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. And I enter into this covenant by faith. You don't do it through works. You don't do it through church attendance. You don't do it through doing the things that people consider to be the good things of life. There is one way that you do it, and that's you enter it by faith. And you receive it by faith. It's lopsided. It doesn't make any sense in the natural. If you were God, you would not cut this kind of covenant with somebody else. Because you're giving everything. They are getting everything. And what are they bringing? Just their trust in you. But that's what God wants. Now, if we start understanding, that is what God requires of us. The major problem that the church has today is we have forgotten that we are a spiritual entity. God wants us to learn in every situation to operate in the spirit realm, out of the spirit, not in the natural realm, out of the flesh. In the spirit realm, you are more than a conqueror. You come out of that spirit realm and operate in the natural, and the devil's going to nail your hide to the wall. But that's what he tries to do. He tries to get you to operate in the natural realm, and you're a spirit being. So let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 8, starting to read at verse, verse 6. But now hath he, 
And the He that is spoken of there is Jesus. Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also He is the mediator, underline that word mediator, of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. So we have somebody who is mediating a better covenant established upon better promises. Now when we talk about a better covenant, we're talking about degrees of comparison. It's better than what? It's better than the old. 1 Corinthians 15.46 That which was first was not spiritual, but natural. And afterwards that which is spiritual. God speaks to you and to me today, spirit to spirit, by the Holy Spirit, because you and I as born-again believers are spiritually alive. You can hear God. Naturally, Israel couldn't hear God. God had, to, had three people through whom He spoke. The prophet, the priest, or the king. And if you wanted to hear what God had to say about your life particularly, you had to seek out prophet, priest, king, or judge later on. Now, one of those was hearing God. And they would speak to God on your behalf and speak to you as, as to what God is saying to them. So, you and I are in a privileged position. You don't have to go through man any longer. You've got a new covenant. It's a better covenant. Now, we're going to have a look this morning at what the better covenant means to you and me. If the first covenant, and a lot of people want to live under the old covenant. I don't know why. Your Bible is divided, broadly speaking, into two books, into two, two, two distinct um, sections. Thank you. An old covenant and a new covenant. Or an old agreement and a new agreement. An old contract and a new contract. Well, if, if I've got something that speaks of old and something right next to it speaks of new and they're talking about the same subject, it means that one has superseded the other. The new supersedes the old. Why? Because the old has run its course. The purpose for its existence has come to an end. Now, you're in Hebrews chapter 8, and you've just read verse 6. Let's have a look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now, it wasn't faultless in that there was a lot of error in it. It was faultless in that God's purposes and God's plans could not be performed under the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant gives you and me an understanding of what God purposes to do spiritually. All the shed blood of bulls and goats that flowed under the Old Covenant was a foreshadowing of what God purposed to do in the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the substance, the fulfillment of all the sacrifices that went before. So when we come to Calvary, we stand there at the most sacred place of all. Because here God is entering into new covenant. And it's a covenant which is everlasting. It's from generation to generation to all those who would put their faith in Him. Now why is it generation to generation? For the very simple reason that God doesn't operate in a dimension called time like you and I do. God's not restricted by time. God's not in time. Time's in God. 
God's not in distance or space. Space and distance are in God. See, God's not going to be in next week. Next week is in God. God's not in next year. Next year is in God. You've got to get your mind renewed to this. I mean, we talk about awesome stuff and people just, if you like, poo-poo God. Oh, you, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Is that bad? Did I say something? It's okay. I've got to be careful yeah, haven't I? <laughs> All right. Now, let's go back to verse 6 there. He obtained a more excellent ministry by how much more he is the mediator of a better covenant. A better covenant which is established upon better promises. Well, what are the better promises? Why are they better? The word better there in the Greek is a word which means stronger or better still, nobler. Now, what are the promises? Why is it that the promises of the second covenant, which supersedes the first, why is it that those promises are better? I, and I believe that there are a couple of reasons. I'm putting these forward for your consideration. Number one, they're made by God who cannot change and doesn't lie. Those are two good reasons. When God speaks it, it's done. And you and I need to understand something. God doesn't change His mind. What God has promised to His children includes all His children. If you've just recently been born again, you're included in that. You're part of the family. You know, a little baby that's just born is born into a family. It immediately becomes a member of the family with all the privileges and recognition of family membership. You don't wait until it reaches a certain stage and say, Oh, who are you? Oh, yeah, you were born again 13 years ago. Now, you can come into the family. Minute. And I'll tell you this, those little ones dictate what goes on in the family. <laughs> they try to do that in the spirit realm, but they, they've got to grow. They need older brothers and sisters to help them. Okay? Now, the other reason that it's a better covenant established upon better promises is because... The promises are already in effect. They're not in the sweet by and by. I don't have to wait for them. Over beyond the great divide. In the sweet by, when we get on the other shore, we're going to experience all of this. Listen, folks, you're living beyond the great divide. <laughs> it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And when you got born again, the old man died. You crossed the great divide. You don't cease to be when you walk out of this earth suit called body. You're not waiting for some angel to come and beckon you. Hello. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, you walk right into the presence of God. Some people are waiting for heaven to come. I thought heaven's already arrived. I thought heaven's already among us. <laughs> if you've got hell on earth, <laughs> because you're handling your life the wrong way. Come on. Say, Father, thank you for renewing of my mind. I'm your child. And your word will cause my mind to be renewed before I leave here this morning. Amen. How many of you want that? How many of you believe you're going to get it? <laughs> Amen. All right. Now, 
how do I have a better covenant than Old Covenant Israel, Old Testament Israel? If you have a look at what God did for them, God said so many things to them. God said, I'll be your shield and your defender. I will guide you. I will lead you. I will take sickness out of the midst of you. Anybody who comes in against you one way is going to have to contend with me and I'll make sure they flee seven ways. Now that's all under the old covenant. We've got all that. But the word that we've just read says that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. How can that covenant, how can that contract be better? Number one, we find in verse 6, the first reason that we have a better covenant is found in verse 6. But now has Jesus obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Now you know that the present day ministry of Jesus is one of being our high priest before the Father. You know that. If not, go and read the book of Hebrews. Jesus acts as our high priest right there before the Father. And the interesting thing about it, and a lot of people don't realize this, is Jesus is the ideally suited person to do that. For the simple reason, He is the God-man. He walked here as man. He experienced all the limitations of the body. That's why he says to the disciples, it's expedient for you that I go, I know the limitations of the body. You're going to go east and you're going to go west. You're going to go north and south. You're going to be spread around you. I'm going to lead you by the Spirit. But it's expedient for you that I go away because the same comfort that I've been to you in the natural, you're going to experience in the Spirit. But something's going to happen first. The old covenant is going to have to pass away. The new is going to have to come. Under the new covenant, you're going to become spiritually alive. You're going to be able to hear my voice for yourself. I'm not going to be physically with you. You're going to have to learn to operate outside of this natural physical realm and learn to trust me up in the realm of the Spirit where I've spoken my word and you receive my word and you walk in my word and I will back you up. what he's looking for. So he's a mediator. And this is the interesting thing about a mediator. Jesus as the mediator of the covenant. He became the mediator of the covenant when he was raised from the dead. He was not the mediator of the covenant before he died. After he died, he was raised from the dead, and then he became the mediator of the covenant. This is what happened. To use uh, legal jargon, Jesus was raised from the dead to probate his own will. Probate means to watch and ensure that every detail that he required in his will comes to pass. There's nobody who died who is alive today making sure that their last will and testament is being complied with other than Jesus. Why? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Let's deal with this aspect of will. Can I take this off? Do you mind? Thank you. It's getting real warm up here. Now, The book that you've got in your hand is a book of Old and New Covenants, Old and New Testaments, Old and New Will 
and testament. The will and testament of a person is made out before they die. In that document, they will certain things to people. It's called their last will and testament. You've got a new testament in your hand. It's a new testament written in the blood of Jesus. It's what Jesus wills to those who are going to experience or exercise faith in Him and appropriate all that God has provided for them. He is alive today at the right hand of the Father, probating the will that He left. In His will, He bequeathed certain things to us. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we would still enjoy them. But God raised Him from the dead. Now when I say that, I'm going to qualify it, so don't get all theologically over me. All right? God raised Him from the dead, and Jesus is today alive saying, I paid for this and this and this. I bequeathed this and this and this and this and this to those who put their faith in me. What was it that He bequeathed to us? He bequeathed, first of all, spiritual life. He bequeathed to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He bequeathed healing and wholeness to us. He bequeathed relationship with the Father to us. He bequeathed revelation of truth from the Word of God by the Holy Spirit to us. He's bequeathed a whole lot of things. And He's alive today making sure that those things in actual fact are complied with. If you and I never experience them, it's not because God has failed to come up with the goods. We don't experience them many times because we're either ignorant of the truth of the the Word of God, or we're disobedient. But God's done everything. And it's a better covenant because here you had God made flesh, covenanting with God. Genesis 17, picture of Jesus representing Abraham who's asleep, and he covenants with God. God then has to, at some stage, go along and bleed. It's a blood covenant. Abraham has no understanding of how this God who just speaks to him out of thin air is going to bleed. But he knows that he has to because God swore to do so covenantly. And he looks at it down the avenue of time and he says, I don't know when this is going to happen, but the day is going to come when God is going to have to bleed. How does spirit bleed? The only way he can bleed is to take on flesh. This is what happened when Jesus was born. He was born of a virgin. But that, says the angel, which shall come upon you is the Holy Spirit. And that which is born of you will be by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't man's seed. It was the woman's seed. And it was God's blood that flowed in Jesus' veins. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he bleeds, Jesus signs the covenant. And the covenant already signed by the other covenant head, Abraham, immediately becomes effective. That's how God bled. And God raises Jesus when Jesus has already defeated the enemy. Now, some Christians don't want Jesus to go to hell. I'm not going to get controversial on this. I believe he did. 
I believe prophetically it's declared that he would. David says, thou shalt not leave my soul in hell. And he's speaking prophetically there of Messiah. Jesus went into hell, Colossians 2.15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And then, Revelation tells us, he takes the keys of the gates of death and hell and he says, I am he that was dead and I'm alive forevermore. And he kicks down the gates of death and hell and breaks the power of the enemy over the lives of God's creation. For all those who will enter in, the way is now available. And Jesus is raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he says, now this was my will and testament. That's what I died to bring. And I'm going to watch over this to make sure that everyone who seeks to enter into the fullness of this get what they enter into. It's a better covenant established upon better promises. But now, let's have a look at the second point. The second point is this, that the relationship between natural Israel is different from the relationship that we have with God. We have a better relationship. Israel never were the children of God. Natural Israel were always called the people of God or the children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But never were they called the children of God. You and I as born-again believers have a privileged position. You've got a new name. When you got born again, you came into the family of God. You became a son and a daughter of God. You came into the family. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, would you? Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. Starting to read at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and the daughters of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and the daughters of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy God. Let me stop right there. Let me make this point from the Word of God. Despite what you hear in churches and in platforms, God is not the Father of us all. God is the Father of those whom He birthed. If you're not born of God, you are not His child. Sorry. I'm a father. I'm a father to my children. I gave them life. But I'm I'm not father to my neighbor's kids. I'm not father to all the kids on the block. Believe it or not, I'm not father to all the kids on the block. Okay, although I shouldn't be standing here. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? What is it that determines that relationship? The child is born of the Father. And if you are not born of the Spirit of God, you are not of His family. He loves you and He wants you to come into that relationship. 
but you are not because you are a human being different from a dog or you're part of creation automatically the child of God. That's one of the biggest lies perpetrated by the devil. It deceives people into thinking, I can go and live however I want to, he's my father, and it doesn't make any difference. You're going to find there comes a time in your life, and it might right be at the end of the road of life, where you're going to realize there is a big difference, and they lie to you. You're not God's child until you are born of the Spirit of God. And being born of the Spirit of God means you subjugate your will to the will of God. It's called the Lordship of Jesus. If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord over what? Your life. Every aspect of your life. This is what Christianity is. Christianity is, you're not a Christian because you're not a Muslim or a Hindu or a Jew. You're a Christian because you have laid down your life and said, I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's a decision. Now listen, my brother. Listen, my friend. Nobody can make that for you. You make that decision. But when you make it, follow through with it. I think God, if it were possible for God to be sick and tired, and He never gets sick and tired, but if He's fed up to the back teeth, with Christians who are wishy-washy media. Get out! Really? I mean, you, you can't be... I've been there. You can't be half in the world and half in the kingdom. You straddle the fence, you fall. Ouch! It's very unpleasant. Pain! Now listen, I'm speaking... I want you... I'm painting a picture. Because I want you to realize, God says, I wish you were either hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, you're mediocre, you're half-hearted, you're wishy-washy, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Now, he's painting pictures. That's, you, you make God sick to his stomach. Now, if you're going to get out, get out. At least we know where you stand. And we can pray for you. Come on. Yeah. If you're going to backslide, be like me. Backslide. <laughs> Whatever I did, I did a whole hog, man. If I'm going to get out, let me get out. If I'm going to get in, let me get in. Now, I've chosen to get in, and I'm staying in. Yeah. But make a decision. Don't be like this. I mean, that's yuck. You've got no backbone. All right, that wasn't supposed to be part of what we're talking about. Let's move on here quickly. Now, have a, <laughs> have a look here. Don't get me to... Oh, have a look here. Have a look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How am I a child of God? Because I sat in a meeting and raised my hand. That doesn't make you a child of God. That doesn't make you a child of God because the family pressurized you. Your mother took you by the hand and led you to the front. That doesn't make you a child of God. You can go through all those actions. If there's not a transformation in your heart, you're not a child of God. That's why this verse says, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. I'm not a child of God because I raised my hands. I'm not a child of God because I went through a Baptist church or Plymouth Brethren. I'm not a child of God because I went along and I rubbed shoulders with religious people. That doesn't make me a child of God. What makes me a child of God is I come to a place in my own life where I bow the knee of my will and I declare the Lordship of Jesus. I confess, God, I need you. Come in, Jesus, and be my Lord. And I know, 
You see, the witness is born. I, 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 if I step out of this earth suit in the next five minutes, I, I'm not fearful. I don't fear death. Death is just another moving into another phase of life. What's going to die? This body. Oh my Lord, it's dying already, man. What are you trying to preserve it for? Amen. Now, the thing is, this body is what qualifies us to be in this earth. So you need one. <laughs> Amen. If you, if you plan to stay here, you need one. You do not appear at the foot end of your kid's bed one day. <laughs> in spirit. Oh, that was dear old aunt, whatever. No, 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 no. That's a familiar spirit. We've got to learn how to deal with this thing. Oh, my, my dear departed grandmother appeared at the foot end of my bed. She appears at the foot end of my bed. I'm going to cast her out. Was that ain't grandma? Hello? All right. <laughs> now, we haven't finished yet. We're still in this first part. <laughs> now, have a look here at verse 17. See, because he's not finished. If we are children, how do we know we're children? The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. I'm a child of God. I don't have any doubt about it. I don't lose sleep over it. Am I in the kingdom? Am I not in the kingdom? That never worries me. Why? Issue settled here. Yeah. Doesn't make any difference. I, I, nothing changes that. The issue settled here. Yeah. I know it. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm walking with the king. See? Not because I'm a pastor. I just got the revelation of truth. The spirit bears witness. I'm a son of God. But it goes on in verse 17 and says, If a child or if children... Then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. So I'm not just a child of God. I'm not just a son or a daughter of God. Israel never had this privileged position. They were never heirs to all that God had. They were heirs to the land that God promised them in the natural. In the spirit realm, God's promised us a spiritual land. Flowing with milk and honey. Oh, they're giants, but I'm walking in it. And I'm fully provided for. Every area. Every need is met. Does that mean that I don't have challenges? Oh my God in heaven. More than you probably know about. But I want you to realize something. I've learned how to handle them. I don't say it's easy. I don't say I like it all the time. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Some of, some of us am there. Amen? Don't give up. Don't give up. You win. You win. Take hold of it. You win. You can't be overcome. Doesn't make any difference how many times you're knocked down. You win. The minute you start clawing at the ground to pull yourself up, you're winning. He's getting weaker and weaker. You're getting stronger and stronger. Keep going. You win. Now, if children, then heirs. See? We are heirs of everything that God possesses. And, and yes, rather, it's rather interesting. Uh, not even Jesus is going to get more than you. Have a look there. It says you're a joint heir with Him. Joint heir. God doesn't play favorites. Everything that the Father possesses is yours. Oh, somebody's mind just went tilt. I could feel the whole building go like this. 
Airship always speaks of possession or acquisition. When in the natural do you get what is bequeathed to you? After the person dies. Well, let me ask you a question. When did God die? And when was that? 2,000 years ago, God died. When did everything that pertains to life and godliness, which makes me an heir of all that God possesses, when did that become mine? 2,000 years ago. It's not in the sweet by and by. It's not one day over on the other shore. It's in the here and N-O-W. Now. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, brother. I need some encouragement right now because I've got some people looking back at me like I crawled out from... Gorgonzola cheese. <laughs> Remember, dear Techie, one does all the giving, the other does all the receiving. We're on the receiving end. What a blessing. What a blessing. Heirs of life. When do we possess this? Now. If you're not possessing your possessions, it's because you don't know that they're available to you right now. Now, here is number three. We are brought back from bondage, and the bondage that we're brought back from is the bondage of the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now, now, now. What does the word now imply? Here and now, now. But the now is because of what has taken place in your experience. Because you are in Christ Jesus. Because you are born again, a child of God. The Spirit bears witness to your spirit. You now. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What is the, what is the flesh? The flesh is my will against God's will. My will vying with God. God says, I want you as my child to go left. And you say, no God, I want to go straight ahead. That's flesh. This is not flesh. This is a vehicle. This is not flesh. This, is an, this gives expression to flesh. Don't try and beat up on the flesh. There are religions where they take themselves and they whip themselves in the flesh. Whipping up on your body does not get your spiritual attention. Amen? Oh, the Lord caused that accident to happen so I could get into hospital, so I could spend more time with Him. There's a four-letter Texas word that describes that. Bull. See, you guys are learning my language, eh? Okay? That's nonsense. God never got your spiritual attention by beating up on your physical body. If, we, if, we get, if, we get, if we've got an enemy arrayed against us who wants to come steal and, and destroy and kill and do all those things, He's the one. We get out of covenant relationship and He nails us. The Lord's trying to teach me a lesson. Well, if He is, my goodness, be bright enough to learn it. But He's not. The Lord teaches you from His Word. The Lord ministers to your spirit. The Lord brings you to a place of, of, of change through ministering to the inner man, not through beating up on your body, not from stealing your kids. Enemy does it. Amen. Now, verse 2 of Romans chapter 8 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, hath, not will, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. There is a law that operates, the law of sin and death. 
It's a law that will operate while its power is enforceable. But in the life of the born-again believer, the law of sin and death has no power. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. I'm free. I'm free. That thing can't dictate unless I let it. It's not the devil that's got all that power and that ability. He has no power or ability except what you as a born-again believer give him. You've got all power. Jesus said that in Matthew 28, 18. All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Now I'm going to heaven and you're staying in the earth. You go with my authority. And in case you need the power, and you will, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that will give you the power to be effective in your witnessing. So I've got authority and I've got power. But the law of life, uh, the, law of the, uh, the, the law of life uh, in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. Now the law of sin and death, whenever we hear the word law, we tend to think of Moses. It's not Moses. It's the law of sin and death. And there's a threefold curse of the law of sin and death. Yes, it's detailed for us in Deuteronomy 28, but it's only detailed so that we get some understanding of it. De Deuteronomy 28 didn't bring it into existence. God is just telling us there what it is. It existed whether Deuteronomy 28 was written or not. So the law of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, what are the three aspects of the law of sin and death? Spiritual death, poverty, sickness. Now I'm going to show you from the Word of God. Have a look here. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> now just to give you a scriptural basis on which we can, we can hang this truth, Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, Christ has redeemed us. He's, Paul is writing here to converts, to people who are born again believers. Christ has redeemed us from the curse, being made a curse for us. Now the curse is threefold, spiritual death, poverty, and But Christ has brought us back from spiritual death. Christ has brought us back from poverty and lack. Christ has brought us back from sickness. He's brought us back. We don't belong there. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. How did He, how did he buy us back? He was made... The curse. He was made the curse. Let me ask you a question. Do you agree that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took all our sin? Okay, so that's settled. Sin is on Jesus. He's paying for it there. There is no reason for Christians to sin. Come on. Paul says in Romans, sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? It doesn't have the power. Its power to control you was cancelled. 
Because Jesus bore the judgment of God against sin. And so sin has been judged. If you'll enter into faith in what Jesus has done, you're set free from sin's dominion. It's called conversion. Are you okay? All right, now, have a look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Who has delivered us from the authority of darkness? Who has delivered us, born-again believers, from the authority of darkness? That's talking about the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness never blessed anybody. Kingdom of darkness wants to hold you bound in darkness. But Jesus has broken the power. He's removed its authority to everyone who put their faith in what He has done at Calvary. The power of the kingdom of darkness to hold them is broken. It has no authority. Have a look. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. You and I have got right standing with God because of what Jesus has done. Do you know that 1 John chapter 3 verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You and I, how do we know that we've passed from death to life? Because there's a new life on the inside of you. When you were in the world, you didn't love people. You love to take advantage of them. You love to talk about them. You'll have to pull them down. You'll have to use them as stepping stones for your own promotion. But when you got born again, a new heart was put on the inside of you. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart. And how many of you know that the brethren sometimes are tough people to love? But it says this is how you're going to know that you, you, you are born again. There's a new life. And you're able to love that which many times is not lovely. Look at your neighbor and say, you are lovely. Now don't get off with her. Don't get off with her. You're supposed to be nice, brother and sister in the Lord, all right? Don't get the wrong ideas here. Now, go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Because I want us to see that you and I have got spiritual authority to live this life. You're a spirit being. You're made alive unto God. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you and guide you. The Holy Spirit is going to talk to you. The Holy Spirit will do things in and through you that if you listen to Him, will change and transform your circumstances. You'll touch meaningfully the lives of other people. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense, that's talking about the first Adam, death reigned by one, much more they that receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, that's you and me, shall reign in heaven. Shall reign where? Where? Shall reign in life. Uh, that's talking about the here and N-O-W. This is life. In case you're not aware of it, take a deep breath. <sighs> Shall reign in life. Reign in life. Reign in life. You've got an enemy arrayed against you. You don't reign over human spirits. You don't reign over people. You reign over evil spirits. You reign as a king. 
And the word of a king is, in the minute he speaks it, it's done. Now you've got to learn to operate this way. God sees you as a people, a nation of kings. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a royal, royal priesthood. Reign! Come on, priesthood. Serve. Come on, kinghood. Reign. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Different from all the nations of the world. And I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you came ethnologically from. What your roots are. Cancel them. Cancel them. It's about time we got some understanding that as a nation we're to have a kingdom culture. It transcends every natural culture. Well, I want to hold on to my culture. Well, hold on to it then, you ugly thing. You. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you it's not going to get you anywhere in the kingdom of God. Promise you. You've got to cut that off. That thing will hold you back. That'll prevent you from meeting brother to brother, sister to sister. That'll cause you incredible problems down the road. You may look different to me, but I want to tell you, God doesn't look on the outside. God's having a look at the spirit man. Is the spirit God my life? Yes, it has. That's my child. I don't care what you look like in the natural. I don't care what your background is or where you came from. See, the spiritual life. We need to appropriate what God has provided for us. Spiritual life. Now, I've got to move on because, man, somebody slow that clock down. Okay, we, we, we are brought back or bought back from the second curse of the law, which is sickness. Now, let me just, just take a deep breath and just relax. This is where people get real mad. Christians get real mad. Just nudge your neighbor and say, don't get real mad. I'm brought back from sickness. Now, whether I experience it or not, doesn't change the truth of the word of God. If I haven't experienced it, it's because I haven't quite got it right yet. And I keep trying until I get it right. But there is a way for us to walk in this life above weakness, sickness, pain, and disease. Don't believe the television in a couple of weeks that 60 million Americans are going to get flu this year. They may, but I'm not one of the 60 million. No, sir. No, sir. I get the right to choose what I receive and what I don't receive. And when I'm going to receive something, I'm going to check out the source. And if the source ain't God, I'm not receiving it because it's not going to bless me. Okay, now let me show you something. Under the Old Testament, God says to them in Exodus 23, 25, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. That's what He says to natural Israel. But you and I have got a covenant of healing that Jesus, who is the seed of Abraham, entered into it. How did He do it? He became sick for us. He was our substitute. Just like He was our substitute, having poured upon Him the judgment and the wrath of God, He was made to be sin with our sin. So Jesus was made sick with our sickness. 
Now, if you and I are never going to stand before God and give account before God for our sin, you don't have to stand and let the devil put on you what Jesus already has paid for. Well, go with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. Have a look at this. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs. And the word grief says is not boo-hoo. Amen? It's not tears down the cheeks. Griefs is the, the Greek word coli. And literally it is weakness, sickness, pain, and disease. Now let's read it that way. Surely He has borne our weakness, sickness, pain, and disease. I wasn't even there, but I wasn't there sinning either. But everything that sin produces is death. And weakness, sickness, pain, and disease produces death in our bodies. How much has medical science been paid by us to get us cured and healed? Now, I'm not against medical science. Thank God for them. Because 90% of the body of Christ would have been dead without them. You sure didn't know how to get healed using the Word of God. Revelation hadn't come to you that Jesus has already paid for it. Why do you have to go and pay for it again? Why do you have to bear it? Why do you have to experience it? If sin doesn't have dominion over me because its authority has been cancelled, Jesus has paid for my weakness, my sickness, my pain and my disease. Why do I bear it? I'm going to tell you why. How many of you want to know? Come back next week. No, 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 no. <laughs> I need to. <laughs> I'll tell you why. How many of you are born again? Just raise your hands. Okay, you're born again. That means that the life of God is living on the inside of you. You are a spirit being filled with the life of God. This is the biggest problem, I believe, or one of the biggest problems that confronts the body of Christ. We live too much in the natural realm instead of the spirit realm. You see, while I'm living in the spirit realm, then the Word of God is the authority of my life. I stand on this word and it doesn't make any difference what happens in the natural. I will overcome because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will abide forever. While I'm in the spirit realm, I'm able to hear God and I operate above that enemy raid against me who is a spirit operating in the spirit realm, but he's under my feet. He's defeated while I stay in the spirit realm. But the majority of Christians come out of the spirit realm and operate in the natural realm and you try to defeat the devil while operating in the natural realm and he's operating in the spirit realm and he'll nail your hide to the wall every time. Now what do I mean by that? Just this. You wake up in the morning and you've got a pain in your body and the first thing you do is start thinking, uh-oh, it's back. You start 
taking your body as a credible authority for your life. What your body is telling you suddenly becomes the most important thing and the authority. Despite the word of God that says that by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. You put aside the word of God so you stop operating in the spirit realm and you come right back into the realm of the feelings. And when I'm in this realm, the devil will whip you. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, let me ask you the question. Has Jesus paid for your weakness, sickness, pain, or disease? Has He? Well, why have you got it? Why are you still holding on? Because every time that the devil hits you, hits you in an area, you change the authority in your life. You get back to your body being the authority. Body's not the authority. It's a body. It's got a function. Well, it just doesn't feel like it. I don't operate in the realm of feelings. Second Corinthians five seventeen says we walk by uh, five seven says we walk by faith, not by sight. I do not walk in the realm of the feelings. I walk by what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, "Greater is He who is in me." Therefore, no demonic influence can come against me and overcome me. The Word of God says that by the stripes of Jesus I was healed, and if I was healed, then I am healed, and if I was healed, I am the healed that the enemy is trying to make sick. And I don't let him because he's under my feet while I stay in the spiritual. I'm called to rule and reign in life, not in heaven. You're not going to rule and reign in heaven? God does that there. Come on. Now, you still in Isaiah 53? Okay, boy, we've got to get moving here. Have a look at this. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his bruises, we are healed. Now, the word healed there is the word Iomaya. And IMA is a Greek word which is used 27 times in the New Testament and every time in the 27 times it talks about healed from physical sickness or sickness on the physical body. It's physical healing. There's no such thing as spiritual healing. There's healing of the emotions. But that's not my spirit. My spirit is born again. My spirit is recreated. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. I'm a brand new creation. Which part of me got recreated? The spirit man. I'm filled with the life of God. I'm called by God now not to be dominated to by an already defeated foe. I'm called by God to rule and reign in this life. Just like the kid of a king. And I do that when I operate in the spirit realm. See? Now God has done all this for us. Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, went about doing good and healing all who were under the lordship of Satan. That's the, yes, that's the Greek expansion. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. The Greek expansion of that is all who are under the lordship of the devil. That's what it says. That's the Greek expansion. I'm not under the lordship of the devil. I refuse to let him lord it over me. He did for many years, not anymore. 
I rule and reign as a king in this life over him. He is under my feet. Now, three minutes. For the third one is we're brought back from the bondage of poverty. Another word for poverty is lack. God has provided for his children so that you do not have to lack, listen, anything. Anything. Now, when we talk about things, we talk about T-H-I-N-G-S. God doesn't want you to have things. Why not? The world consists of things. You live in a world that has things. And things are there to enjoy. Don't let the things ever have you. That's the difference. You can have the things, but don't let the things have you. Okay? There are no poverty vows here. If you, if you are that childish spiritually, that things can wean you away from your love for God, you need to grow up. A Cadillac can't do that. My Lord. A Mercedes Benz can't do that. An aeroplane can't do that. A boat can't do that. Oh, yes, brother, but I know people. Yeah, but you're talking about spiritual babies. People who have never met Jesus. Because when you met Jesus face to face, I promise you, everything else is meaningless. It has no import at all. Now, God has provided everything for us, but this is the challenge. We, His children, don't believe it. I'm reading to you from Romans chapter 8 again, and verse 32. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He with Him, uh, how shall He not with Him also freely, freely give us all things? What things is He talking about? Well, what things do you need? What things do you need? We're talking about a whole different culture. We're talking about a whole different mindset. We're talking about getting our minds renewed. He has provided... I'm the kid of a king. Everything that I need is in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, He has provided me all things that pertain to life and God-likeness. I've got it all. We want to place an emphasis on the God-likeness, and that's important. But I want you to know, life is pretty tough when I'm having to live from hand to mouth all the time. When there's continual lack, and the kids are needing things, and I can't provide them in the natural. That's pretty tough. Well, what does God's Word say about it? He's provided me all things. Will He not? With Jesus... Freely. If he gave Jesus, that's his greatest gift. Will he not freely give? You mean things can take a place above Jesus in God's economy? Not at all. So if he's given his best, everything else underneath it, automatically you can have. Watch this. I understand that we've got some challenges here and people abuse it, but you're just going to have to leave them to God. But that doesn't change the truth of the word of God. Have a look here at uh, John 16 verse 23. In that day, In that day. In what day? The day that the Holy Spirit has come. The day that the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the one who gives us insight and understanding to what we've got in Christ, that one, when He comes, in that day, says Jesus, you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, I don't know about you, but I trust God's Word. I take God at His Word. Whatsoever. And that means anything. Have a look. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. The problem is the body of Christ don't believe it. That's what it says. 
It's not talking spiritual stuff here. Ah, well, brother, you know, we try that. You don't try that. You live it. You live it. You get yourself to a place where your faith is in what God has said, and you see God as El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, that He is Jehovah Jireh. But your experience hasn't been that, has it? That's why so many people, well, I just tried it, you know, and it didn't work. And I know so-and-so that tried it, and oh, we're into this prosperity thing. Listen, if you don't believe in prosperity, then don't want to go to heaven. Because according to the picture that's painted for us in the Word of God, streets are paved with gold. There is no lack there. You will not lack for any. And you are not going to need it in heaven if you're thinking heaven a place. Okay? Let's just leave that there. Last, last scripture, Mark 11. Mark 11. Now please understand this. I'm not saying that God's going to make you a multimillionaire. What I am saying, however, is that God has provided everything that you need. Mark 11, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, what things soever you desire, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Read it. That's what Jesus said. It's in red. That's where we are with Christ. That's where we are with our new covenant. You don't have to lack for anything. Everything's already been provided. You've got, to, you've got to learn how to walk in it. You've got to learn how to appropriate it. Well, brother, I don't know. I know. Some of you are in that place. Get the tape. Go and meditate on it. Open up your scriptures. Read the word of God. Let the spirit of the Lord minister to you. Because you see, we have a better covenant established upon better promises. That's ours. And whether you walk in it or not, I plan to walk in it. I plan to walk in it. I want everything that God has provided for me through Christ Jesus. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. I want to learn how to operate in authority. I want to learn all the things that I need to learn in order to be effective for Him. Amen? Take the hand of the person next to you. Father, thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You for this Word that is alive. We pray that by Your Spirit You will cause this Word to remain alive and to catch fire. Let it be ignited on the inside of us so that the truth of this message... Will, will dominate our thinking. Our minds will be renewed and we'll be able to see all that you've provided for us in Christ Jesus. We bless you for it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.